Hello everybody and thank you for joining me for this new episode of The Daily Optimist. Today is Wednesday, September 15th. Alright, it is Wednesday of the week. It is the day where we decide we are one day closer to the weekend. What is a weekend though? That means something different for many people depending upon what you do for your work, uh, what you do with your life. Weekends are a funny thing like that. Uh, nonetheless, yesterday there was some voting throughout the country for boards of education, for uh, council members, uh, even a recall vote for a governor in California. So there were many that uh, went um, the way of progressivism. There were many that also went the way of conservatism. And I don't say those terms just uh, as a way of saying progressive Democrats and conservative uh, Republicans, but also in terms of the policies. Um, And I don't want to come up with it as a forward or backward, but in some aspects, it almost is. In some places, there were people that were elected that um, are against um, teaching a more inclusive curricula, a, a more DEI work-based curricula. There are people who have elected to board beds that are against that. Um, there was a, a governor in California who was also voted back in or voted not to be recalled I should say so that it can help stay progressive it's interesting though these fights happen and there's so much to get into but that's not what I want to talk about today don't you worry I'll get to that in just a moment I just wanted to mention all those quick things off the top and then uh, I talked a lot about that yesterday But today I'm going to talk about something else. I'm going to stick with one story for today. I'll get into that in just a moment. But of course, we'll finish with the positives, like we always do. After all, this is The Daily Optimist. And my name, of course, is Elijah Manning. I'll be back in just a moment. Alright, I gave you a long opening today, so thanks for sticking with me. But today, what I really want to talk about is a uh, report that just uh, came out about poverty and its decline in 2020. And the direct result was because of government aid. Alright, this article is from NPR.org and it is by Laurel Wamsley. Laurel Wamsley. All right. So the Census Bureau, who uh, uh, does the obviously census to to reuse that word, uh, just released new data about um, poverty in the U.S. And um, even though last year we had a pandemic impact as greater in terms of um, people uh, 
stopping work and you know the economy stopping for for a moment uh the poverty rate went down in 2020 it was 9.1 which is 2.6 percentage points lower than it was in 2019 um the relief payments that were were uh, given out by uh, government aid moved 11.7 million people from poverty. From poverty, um, uninsurance, uh, uninsurance, unemployment insurance benefits kept 5.5 million people from falling into poverty. Hmm. The official poverty rate was 11.4, which is up. Um, one percentage point from 2009, but the official rate does not include many types of government aid, including stimulus checks, though it does include unemployment insurance. So the poverty threshold uh, is an income of about 26000 for a family of four, or about 13000 for an individual. And it says last year there were more than 37 million people living in poverty in the U.S. by this definition. So that is interesting. Um, the Supplemental Poverty Measure, also known as the SPM, incorporates food and housing assistance and in 2020, COVID-19 relief checks. This is the first time that the supplemental rate is lower than the official poverty rate. All right. Um, Leanna Fox, who is the chief of the poverty, uh, chief of the poverty statistics branch in the Social, Economic, and Housing Statistics Division at the Census Bureau, quite the title she says i think this really shows the importance of the social safety net when we see differences in trends with the official poverty rate and the spm that's really the impact of our tax system that's the impact of our non-cash benefits so this is you know this article it goes into more depth about like uh the median household income and what that was and um decline in number of full-time year-round workers but it shows that people did not fall into poverty like they would typically if um, they were at a loss of job. So, there has been much conversation surrounding the unemployment benefits, the, you know, the tax, uh, um, the tax, well, yeah, raising taxes, uh, the eviction moratorium. There has been people that have so i'm going to connect two dots here and it's fascinating well at least to me maybe you won't find it as fascinating so the unemployment benefits ran out on uh labor day of this year so that meant people would have to get back to work even though there's a raging pandemic um pay has not increased exponentially um cost of living has gone up due to the pandemic which is i know it's just a uh, spike and there's uh, metrics and data that support there being a spike just because as people get back to work things change like that but nonetheless i digress and um there are people who are afraid to get back to work but there are also people who are not willing to do the same jobs anymore for the amount of money they are paid. So, the issue becomes, how do you get these people back to work? And how um, how do we stop the pandemic? How do we increase the, the wages? 
And how do we help with these living costs? Well, one simple answer is taxing people more. And not just everybody, but the idea of taxing people at the top 1%. Uh, people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, who could easily pay more in taxes and still be multi-billionaires. And it wouldn't even make a dent in the amount of um, money they have. But what it would do is allow for more um, federal funding for uh, people in need. And, uh, for instance, creating a UBI, a universal basic income. The stimulus checks were kind of that idea. There has been research that has been studied in multiple places what a UBI can do effectively to help people. And this still seems like a very difficult concept, but giving people an extra $1,000 a month to be used for their own purposes, there are, with the, um, with the income number that I just showed to you, the poverty rate that I told you about, which is um, 13000 for an individual and 26000 for a family of four, that is across the United States. And there are 37 million people living in poverty. Now imagine if those 37 million people all were to, able to get an extra $1,000 a month. Okay? There, There's a possibility that they would be able to uh, provide for their their uh, loved ones more more easily because now they maybe don't have to work as many jobs or as long hours for uh, as you know low pay um, but if they do there's a little extra cushion but the little um, points I want to connect here go to COVID so with COVID the hesitancy of people getting back to work is great. And um, with the vaccination rate not as high as it needs to be, there was um, President Biden who had the idea of making it mandatory for, for work for federal employees, number one. Um, and then with companies with 100 employees or more. And there's a lot of outrage about that mandate. But a lot of the outrage comes from the people who say those people who are uh, being lazy because they're making money on unemployment should get back to work. Hmm. Well, maybe they should. They should get paid a little more, too. You should get a vaccine, maybe. And you can get back to work. Because now maybe your company is going to have that be a policy. You're all about policy, right? Get back to work. Don't be lazy. Shouldn't you get the vaccine? Don't be lazy. Get the vaccine and work. Don't tell me you can't get it. It's an interesting... It's an interesting thought. That a lot of the people who are angry about people not working and those that receive the unemployment benefits now telling them to get back to work 
even if they're putting themselves at risk or for low pay. But now they don't want to, people don't want to get vaccinated and have to go to work. They don't want that. But you're, you're quick to tell other people what they have to do with their lives. Hmm. Interesting thought. And there's more to it than that, but it's an interesting thought experiment nonetheless. All right. We can do better. I know we can. All right. I'm done with that. Let's get to the positive news. I'll be back in just a moment. It's time for the positive side of things. Alright, so my first positive news story is going to be um, a little into the weeds here. Um, but that's alright, just I'll do my best to explain my understanding of it while doing a little reading from it. And it comes from uh, Tel Aviv University, American Friends, and it's from uh, a research about... Um, Hyperbaric oxygen therapy reverses hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease and dementia. All right. So originally it's published in uh, a journal called Aging. And that is a medical journal where they publish their um, breakthrough understanding. So there was a team of investigators from Tel Aviv University that have uh, succeeded in restoring brain trauma by hyperbaric oxygen therapy. This is the first time that non-drug therapy has been proven effective in preventing the core biological process responsible for the development of Alzheimer's disease. All right, so uh, there's a list of uh, names, and it is by Shapira et al., um, and it's from just this year 2021 originally uh, published in September of 2021 it's quite the research paper um, so what they did is they figured out how there's something about a lack of oxygen to the brain that um, is kind of what is causing people to have Alzheimer's so they've been testing this. Uh, they used animals first and to see what kind of uh, improvements could be made in, in the brain and, and blood vessels and brain tissue. Uh, if there was damage and how to uh, renew growth of blood vessels, it says, and nerve cells in the brain. Um, so then they, they started to move it into um, people above the age of 65 with cognitive decline, they say with an emphasis on, emphasis on memory loss, which is a stage preceding Alzheimer's and dementia. So, it says the therapy included a series of 60 HBOT sessions, which is the hyperbaric uh, oxygen tank sessions, in pressure chambers over a period of 90 days. The effects on the brain were evaluated by high-resolution perfusion MRI. The hyperbaric treatment protocol gave rise to increased blood flow in the range of 16% to 23%, Significant improved in memory by 16.5% on average and significant improvements in attention and information processing speed. So basically, they're finding that by doing this therapy, it's helping the brain to open up and uh, heal itself with this um, 
extra oxygen that they get from uh, the hyperbaric chamber. Um, so one of the professors on the study, um, his I forget his first name, uh, Shai Efrati is his name, some or her name, I don't know if it's a him or her, sums up the team's findings and says this, by treating the root problem that causes cognitive deterioration with age, we are in fact mapping out the way to prevention. It is likely that hyperbaric medicine can potentially provide the opportunity for living with good brain function without relating to chronic age. Uh, so the rest of the quote goes on a little bit more just to get a little more in depth of it. But the whole idea is that this may be the best way of helping to uh, solve Alzheimer's. I thought that was pretty impressive. All right, and you know, like I said, you can find the the journal itself, Journal Aging, and really look up that research paper if you are so inclined. Um, you know, research, important, read, learning. Okay, my second story comes from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it is uh, an article on goodnewsnetwork.org. That's where I, at least I found it, and it is by Andy Corbley. And it's called, Locals are Interrupting Violence in Minneapolis, One Launch Air at a Time. So, we know that there is this always talk about, you know, crime in communities and uh, policing and all of that. So, the interesting thing that sometimes people don't correlate is that police don't actually, um, you know, stop crime or, or lower it necessarily even in places that are over policed um but there's a movement that's happening that is lowering okay so um in minneapolis there were sometimes 11 homicides a month but a community and church congregation members are taking lawn chairs and sitting in the most dangerous neighborhoods and they're acting as what they call quote-unquote violence interrupters and the statistics show it's working so they've been doing this um, the two uh, people in charge Lewis King and Jerry McAfee uh, say our group asked the Minneapolis Police Department to identify the most dangerous spots in our neighborhood the fourth precinct and then we went there pulled out our chairs and sat down and it has been working they have been the crime rate has been dropping in these areas you know they talk about how um the tough on crime has not worked which is you know been over policing like i said and they talk about that as well and under supporting these communities they mentioned but people sitting on the street corners that are members of the community where they know our young people and they know us they say that's what's causing the difference in uh it's also happening in nashville there's a group called gideon's army in west nashville dream center they're doing the same kind of thing um and they say there the crime has fallen 40 percent 40 percent that is pretty big uh so the idea is by seeing these people perhaps it's just making those who want to commit crimes rethink maybe it's giving a way for for them to have conversation change their minds 
uh, learn a little bit, realize that they shouldn't be doing this, second thoughts, that's so important. The article is a little bit longer, but that's the idea. Um, and they say, we draw on the power of congregation, of family, of friends, and of community to try to interrupt the violence. And our faith gives us the courage to put ourselves in harm's way. That's what uh, they were writing, King and McAfee. So that's pretty impressive. So thank you to those that are willing to go ahead and sit in those dangerous areas. You are appreciated. I hope you continue to do great work. So my quote today is going to come from Arthur Schopenhauer. And my quote directly ties into things that I say repeatedly. I mean, they always tie together. But um, so as we are constantly in a battle over what is true and what is not, there are so many things. Um, in my town, there has been... They changed the school times for the high schoolers to give them the later start time because research shows that it is um, better for uh, children in high school to have more sleep or to wake up a little later. It's better for them cognitively. It's also better for them health-wise in terms of when they drive at night, that's when most accidents happen because they're tired, you know, after practices or rehearsals or whatever the case may be so there's also been an uptick in traffic where i'm at and it's been people don't want want to look at the entire picture so they think it's just you know that it wasn't researched enough or that it wasn't x y and z but they're not putting into account that covid has made people not um go to take the bus as much um there are so now there's more people that are driving their kids to school they're also looking at it under last year where people didn't drive as much to work because maybe they were working from home and now they're back at work there's not just one thing here so there was an outcry and things have been changing. Things are going to go back. But at the bottom of this, there's some kind of truth. But the problem is, we oftentimes don't like to dig for what the truth is. We give a knee-jerk reaction. We give our basic reaction, our thought initially. And we don't think about what other circumstances surround it. We have this problem with vaccinations. And... Um, just information in general. And I want you to think about things around you. Like, how do you get to the truth? How can you get to the truth of something? And this could be something in your personal life, in your professional life, just in your community life. How do you get to the truth of something? Is it just one thought that you have that is the truth? Or do you have to dig a little deeper? Is there more to the truth than you thought initially, but you are hesitant to get there because you don't want to know the truth well get to the truth you have to dig a little deeper sometimes so again my quote from author schopenhauer who was um born in prussia now it's uh poland 
He was a German philosopher and often called the philosopher of pessimism, which is interesting because I'm using him on my podcast called The Daily Optimist. Interesting. He was primarily important as the exponent of metaphysical doctrine of the will in immediate reaction against idealism. His writing influenced later existential philosophy and Freudian psychology. Interesting. Pretty in-depth. But his quote goes like this. All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. One more time. All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. And I thought that was pretty apropos to where we are in this world, especially in this country. Hmm. Where are we? Violently opposed? Some it's being accepted. Some are still ridiculing. It's interesting. We can do better. You can find truth too. I know you can. You've got this. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Daily Optimist. I appreciate each and every one of you. Go find some truth. I know sometimes you have to dig. Could you help me out by rate, subscribe, and share? Rate so that other people can find it. Subscribe so you never miss it. And share with anybody who needs a little positivity and optimism in their day. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. Thank you again. Until next time, everybody, please be well.